Welcome to the podcast of Local Community Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church. Wow, half a cheer. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to have a uh, bit of a different plan this morning. I Just as we're in worship, I just really sense the presence of God and... I'm going to go to the end of my message before I go to the start. Uh, I was feeling pretty jet-lagged when I got here, but I'm just feeling like God's going to do some work in this place this morning. So can I just ask that you stand with me? I'm going to uh, cut to the chase very quickly, which is I'm talking about the armor of God this morning, and I will talk about that at some point. But the point is, is that the armor of God, as we learn about that and what Paul teaches us in Ephesians, it's, it's habits of how to live uh, because, as Paul says over and over again, we need to stand firm. We need to stand. And why do we need to stand is because when we put ourselves in a position to live a life with Jesus, we step into a war zone. And that war zone is for your life and that war zone is for the life of people around you. And, and this armour, the tools that we have, the habits that we have in life to fight in that battle. There are captive souls at the moment that need releasing into the kingdom of God. And that might be people here right now. It could be people who are not in relationship with God in, in this room, but some how some reason you're here today and you're going to hear about Jesus and what that's about and what a life with him looks like. But for those of us that have stepped into a life with him, it's, it's still a battle. There's still this pull away from Jesus. And, and so this battle is ongoing. And so maybe for you right now, you're in a battle for something. It could be, I think Millie talked about it, a battle in your mind. She was talking about those racing thoughts. It could be a battle with your health, it could be a battle, a relational battle, some context with some important person in your life, it could be with your finances, it could, there's, there's a battle that maybe you're facing right now. And I just thought in worship, just this sense of the presence of God, like rather than me talking for the next 20 minutes or whatever it is to get to this point, let's just go with what the Spirit of God is doing right now in this place. And I think part of that is about getting on the front foot for the battle for your life and for the life of people that are close in your world. And so I just want us to position ourselves for that. So whatever that posture looks like for you to just humble yourself before the Lord this morning, maybe it's eyes closed, you're not distracted, maybe it's hands out to say, God, I'm open, maybe it's on your knees to say... I'm here in worship. I'm bowing down before you. But let us come and get prepared for God to take ground back this morning. God, would you come have your way with us in this place today? God, I just want to pray that we are not passive here this morning. We are not sitting back in chairs, but we are reminding ourselves that we are to stand firm, that there is a battle for our life, there is a battle for the lives of those people around us. 
But God, you already have the victory in Jesus. We know what the end looks like. But God, that doesn't take away from the circumstances and the battle that we're facing right now. And God, I'm believing this morning that there is a faith rising in this place. To see your victory come into lives of people here today. God, I don't believe it's a coincidence that we're here, gathered together, the people in this room. But Lord, I believe there are battles here to be won. And for others, God, maybe there's battles that we're getting equipped for, ready to fight. But God, in the midst of all of that, we're here saying, we need you, Lord. We need you. So come, Holy Spirit, come in this place. God, I just pray for each person here this morning and give us a picture of what it is that you want to do in us, that we would, we would hear your words today through the lens of what you're going to do. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. You grab a seat. I, I just really felt that we needed to have a picture of where the Lord is going to take you this morning. What that battle is that you're fighting or that battle that you're fighting on someone else's behalf so that you can picture that through that lens as we listen this morning. Uh, well, welcome. As Kylie said, we have got back from London, um, and I am severely jet-lagged. <laughs> so this could mean anything this morning, um, although I actually felt awesome through worship then. Thanks, Millie and Steph and team, for leading us. It was so good. Uh, what a privilege it is to travel. Like, obviously, no one's been overseas for a couple of years, uh, Carly and I realized that we had this little window. We start a six-month contract tomorrow, which meant we couldn't travel at all. And travel is part of, I guess, our, our habits of life, our routine of life, I'm going to talk about in a moment. Um, so it's very last minute. Um, anyone that's interested, I'd love to share photos. We had, like, these amazing experiences, not to make you feel jealous at all, but just to let you know it was a really good time. Um, Anyone, anyone know the fat duck at all? Anyone? We got to the fat duck, which was really good. So that was like the most amazing. For any foodies in the room, that was a good experience. This is like experience central, this trip. We went, any golfers in the room, it turned out that, you know, the live golf thing, the Saudi thing, the first tournament happened to be played while we were there. So we went to that, which was pretty good. I went to Hamilton. That was amazing. So um, all these like crazy, crazy experiences. And honestly, it is such a privilege that we get to travel. Um, us and, and everyone. It, it's for us part of uh, what I would describe as our routine, like our habits of life. And our last travel experiences have not been great. The last trip I got COVID. The trip before we ended up moving house. I think a trip before that, Kylie broke her shoulder. A trip before that, Kylie broke her ankle. A trip before that, Kylie fainted in Bali. A trip before that. Anyway, you get the pattern, right? On this trip, nothing actually happened. It was like amazing. <laughs> We're, we're healthy. I think holidays officially finish at five o'clock this afternoon, so we'll see, see how we go in the last couple of hours. <laughs> uh, but it was good. But I think, um, I know for a lot of people in this room, maybe that's the same thing, where 
we travel or time out. It's such an important part of our routine. And it's uh, time for family, it's time for rest, it's time for recovery. It, it's like a really important thing. And I guess I was thinking about that relative to what I'm sharing this morning and these, these habits of life. And that's what we're going to look at through Ephesians. So with habits, we all have them, right? We all have good habits. I'm going to share some of my good habits. And we all have bad habits, which I'm not going to share any of my bad habits with you this morning. And there's habits which we have right now, and there's habits which we aspire to. And these habits, they, they actually direct our behavior, they influence our thinking and our actions. And if you actually build the right habits in your life, they kind of happen behind the scenes. It's, it's like the way they influence, like it's, it's a really important part of, of how we live life. Now, there's so much stuff online about habits. I'm not going to kind of talk about that. That's more life lessons and things that you can go and find out about. There's great books. There's a guy called Stephen Covey, people might have heard of, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a, it's a really good life lesson book to read. But the one thing I would say is that habits are built through repetition. Through repetition until they become automatic things in your life. So you can think right now about what some of your habits are, good habits, bad habits, uh, let me share a couple of mine, my good habits with you, <laughs> not my bad habits. So, so one of them, which hopefully is something that many of you live by, is I try to have a daily, like one of my daily habits is, is starting the day with the Lord, like a devotion time. And we tend to try and find uh, like tools to help us with that. So one of the ways we do that through church is we provide the Bible reading plan. So if you need something, you can have a look at what's coming up, and you can read that, or that could be part of your devotion. As it turns out, Kyle and I quite intentionally have a, a different devotion to the Bible reading plan, because when you're preaching, it's a bit too easy to go through that plan and just read it in preparation for preaching, as a, is that, that makes sense, as opposed to actually a devotion going, this is just my time and my relationship with the Lord. So, so this year, actually reading through, uh, there's a book by Timothy Keller, which goes through the Psalms in a year which is what we're doing at the moment. And every morning, one of our habits is we'll sit down. If we're together, we'll do that together. Um, if not, we'll do that separately. That's one of our daily habits. I have a pretty much daily habit of Pilates. I've got to an age where I used to run and do weights and all these aggressive um, kind of things. You can tell, like with my fit body. Um, these days, I'm just like, if I can just keep things moving, that's a good thing. So Pilates is, is great for that. Uh, but literally every day, but some people know I've got a bit of a back thing and that, that really helps. Um, so it's a habit. But other habits, I was thinking back, like when I was younger, I, used, I played a lot of guitar. And I would, these days, and in fact, I tried it this morning, I picked up my guitar to see how well I could just play. Uh, and even though I don't play that often, I could play quite well. And I used to do this um, exercise, literally one finger, the next finger, the next finger, the next finger on every string, and then up every fret. It would take, and I'd go as fast as I could. And then there was a different pattern. And like almost every day, Kylie probably remembers when we first got married, da 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 over and over again. And it's a habit. It's this routine until it becomes automatic. Now, I haven't picked up my guitar for the best part of three or four months, and I picked up this morning just to test the theory, and bang, I can go. It's automatic. It's this repetitive thing. So, so I don't know. Are you thinking about some of the habits that you've got in your, your life, good, good, or, good or bad? Now, you're probably wondering, what the heck does Ephesians have to do with habits, apart from the fact that I gave you a clue before when we were praying? And if you're with us uh, for the first time, or you're just joining us over the last kind of few sessions, 
uh, we are going through every uh, letter of the New Testament. So each year we feel like the Lord puts on our heart a theme for the year and we create a Bible reading plan around that. And this year it's the letters of the New Testament. So we're up to the book of Ephesians. So let me just give you a bit of context on Ephesians before we talk about this link into habits and, uh, and then get into really where I feel the Lord's leading us this morning. So Ephesus was the city uh, that the Ephesians lived in. And if you've been with us through the bulk of this year, um, you'll know plenty of the stories. So one of them, for example, Corinth, we're talking about Corinthians. Ephesus is a bit like Corinth because it was one of the great seaports of the ancient world. So lots of culture, lots of uh, economic activity going on, lots of pagan worship. And Paul had traveled to Ephesus on his second missionary journey. And during that time, he planted a church. Uh, he actually left Ephesus, but he came back for a couple of years, two or three years, and spent a long time teaching in Ephesus. And having done that, uh, about 10 years after that time, he wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. Now, this letter is a little different because, again, if you've tracked with us through the year, up until now, most of the letters Paul's written have been uh, kind of saying to the church, you're not living out the thing that I've called you to live by. You're not living out the gospel message. You've integrated too much with culture. Uh, and he's really uh, kind of calling stuff out in the church. Ephesus is a little bit different because actually they'd been doing a pretty good job. Uh, the church uh, was growing rapidly. And uh, you might recall in some of our other messages, there was a lot of conflict between the, the Jewish Christians and the, gent the non-Jewish, the Gentile Christians. Well, in the Ephesus church, they'd actually found a way to be uh, unified. And so that, that was going really well. And so that was quite, quite different to the other letters. Now, we're not going to go through the early chapters. We definitely encourage you to read it. It's, it's, a, it's a, again, amazing letter like all of the letters are. Uh, and we'll pick up some of this when we get to life space. But at a very high level, in chapters 1 to 3, Paul basically revisits and summarizes the gospel story. goes back through that. And he basically says, In Jesus, our Savior, who has risen again, we are all united. Both Jew and Gentile, we're all united. We're a family, and we're a family of restored human beings. He says that God's grace is available for everyone. And if you hear a couple of weeks ago, Kylie did an amazing message talking about grace. And at the end of those first three chapters, he says, this is not just about knowing God, not just about knowing Jesus, but it's about all of us having a personal experience of the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's the first kind of three chapters summary of Ephesians. And chapters 4 to 6 then go on, and they basically say, therefore, if that is the gospel message, the next three chapters kind of go, well, then this is how you should live. If this is everything that Jesus has done, if this is who you are in him, and Millie um, reading some scripture this morning, that was just amazing. It's literally talking about your position in Christ. If that's the case, therefore, this is how you live. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 start talking about ways to live. So you could think about it like this, chapters 1 to 3, uh, again, Millie's scripture was awesome, um, that's our position in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, we are seated with him in heavenly places. We then get to chapter 4 and 5, which is, this is how we are to walk in the ways of Jesus, this is what it looks like to walk as a follower of Jesus, and then we get to chapter 6, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And chapter 6 says, actually the beginning of chapter 6 says, 
finally. So here's the gospel message. Here's how you walk. Finally, this is how you stand. This is how you stand. And I was, as I was praying this morning, we stand. Why do we stand? Because when we join Jesus, we actually join in a war. We actually join in a war. And that war is to see captive souls come back to the Lord, to be rescued from an enemy. And so what Paul does is he talks about how do we actually stand firm. And I think sometimes in our life, we, you know, we, we, we get busy, we've got stuff on, we, we just live in culture. And sometimes we do that forgetting that we are at war. We are at war in spiritual realms in the battle for your life and people's lives. And so with all that context, let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read from uh, verse 10 if you want to join with me. It says, finally. Remember, finally comes because he's already talked about all these other things that I was referring to. And in fact, just to make sure you're clear on that, at the end of chapter 5, one of the things that Paul says is that we should walk in the way of love. I think it's really important when we're in a battle that we remember that the precursor to what Paul talks about is that we are walking, we are living in the way of love. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if you grew up in church, like many of us did, often when we talk about the armor of God, uh, what you might do is remember in kids' church the colouring in picture that you got where we colour in the armour and it's a picture of a centurion. Uh, and in some ways it's easy to dumb down, I think, what Paul's actually saying here when he talks about uh, the armour of God. And I think sometimes, whilst obviously that's great teaching in our kids' church, it actually causes you to think that Paul was specifically writing about an analogy to this Roman centurion. And whilst there is a link there, it's actually not what Paul was doing at all. Because what he was doing, as Paul often did, was referring back to these prophetic writings from Isaiah when he was prophesying what the Messiah was going to look like, how the Messiah was going to live. And so there's this picture that's deeply trenched in Scripture that Paul knew about, and, he, and he's pulling that back out into into terms that are relevant to this letter. Uh, there's lots of references, actually, through Isaiah that talk about this picture of, of the Messiah in the form of a warrior king. 
and uh, I'll just read one so you've got an example, but uh, plenty of references we can we could look at as well. This is Isaiah 59, verse 17, and it says, so keep in mind, this is, what, 700, 800 years, maybe more, before Jesus actually came. And it says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in cloak. There's many other Isaiah scriptures that were prophetically talking about this picture of the Messiah. Now, if that's the case, and we're called, remember, in the beginning of Ephesians, to live like Jesus, to live like the Messiah, then I think this starts creating a picture of what, not just like this armour that gets put on a centurion, but what I'm trying to get us to think about today is this context of these things being six habits that we should live by. Six things that we should think about how do we repeat in our life they become automatic so that we can fight the spiritual battle that Paul has just referenced uh, prior to talking about the armour. So the six of them, I'm just going to go through them briefly because actually what I really want us to do is to pray into the battles that we were thinking about before. But one of the things I'd probably just like you to reflect on before I go through those six and what they look like as habits in your life is going, okay, for some of you, I think this morning, you're in a battle and as we were praying about that, you know exactly what that is. Like you're, you're feeling that right now. And I feel like this morning we're going to pray for you, believing for that breakthrough, for the end of whatever that battle is, for the victory that you need. But for some of you, like maybe the battle has not yet started or it's about to start, or even though you, you actually could be in it, God does some of his most amazing work in, in the battle, right? There's obviously that saying, there's no victory without the battle. And so perhaps these six things, what God wants for you is, is not the immediate victory right now, but he wants you to build the discipline of these habits to know how to fight that battle. So that when the next opposition comes, you can stand firm. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is think about when we were praying before, what was it the Lord was saying to you? Like, is there a, a victory coming that we're going to pray for and that's awesome? Or, and or, is this equipping you this morning? Is this something that you need to start thinking about, a new habit in your life, a new routine that you repeat that becomes an automatic part of your life so that behind the scenes it's just kind of happening? Does that make sense? Yeah, good. Okay, first one. Says... Da, 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 stand firm, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the first thing is the belt of truth. So if you think about armor, ancient armor, the belt of truth actually is a bit of the foundation because it's where the sword or the dagger or the shield or whatever the, the weapons were and even some of the armor was all attached to the actual belt. So it's kind of like this foundation. Uh, and, of course, for us, the truth is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we're thinking about the belt of truth in the context of this foundational truth, who is Jesus, and we think about what does that mean in terms of a habit, well, in order to win our spiritual battles, we need to be anchored to the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, and how he calls us to live. And Paul, again, chapters 1 to 3 or 1 through to 5 talks about that in, in Ephesians. I think what that means then in terms of how we live our life 
We should be listeners of truth. We should also be speakers of truth. So this comes up a little bit later. In fact, many of the other parts of armour come back to this idea of the belt, which is why I think it's such a foundational context. But I'll just say that again. It's like be listeners of truth. So what are the things that you're believing and listening to and filling your life with? And when you speak out, what is it that you're putting into your words? Like both of those things should be of truth, which is in Jesus. Which means the habit, in order to do that, means you've got to know him. You've got to know him. You've got to get to know him. And again, some of the ways we do that, clearly one of them is the word. I think that comes up a little bit stronger in one of the other uh, parts of the armour. But there is no shortcut to this apart from knowing Jesus. Get to know Jesus. That's the foundation. Okay, second thing. Breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to try and get the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so the breastplate protects the vital organs. It protects the heart. Now, again, if you've been joining us with us this year, pretty much every message, and in fact, I've been surprised. I didn't realize how much Paul repeats this message. Like, I actually didn't know until we went through it. And the message, over and over and over again, he says, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we should live a life of righteousness. We should chase after righteousness and holiness. Not out of religious context and a set of rules, but our response to who he is and what he's done. Our worship should be a desire to live like him and, and, and therefore we're chasing righteousness. But by the way, you can't do that on your own. You can only do that because of the spirit of God within you who empowers you to live like that. Over and over and over again. Like, it's incredible. Uh, like, quite confronting, actually. Um, I've, I've loved it. You know, honestly, for me, I feel like I've tried my best living a righteous life following Jesus. But this year, even more, I feel like there's a need to, to step up. And again, it's just this weird dynamic, not because of what I do and not because of my actions, but because of God in me and my response to him in me and what he empowers me to do. So... What we're talking about here is the breastplate of righteousness. It's protecting our heart. If we are trying to live a righteous life, it literally protects the core of our being from every spiritual attack. The other way to think about it is if you are consciously living with sin in your life, then you are creating a pathway for the enemy into your life. Now, I know that that's pretty full on. Like, <laughs> um, but you can't be, on the one hand, saying I'm pursuing righteousness and at the same time choosing a life or a part of your life that is not right with God. It, it's kind of like one or, or the other. And so this idea of living righteousness is about protecting the core of who we are, living righteously. So what's the habit? How do we build habit around that? Well, we obey the things that Jesus said. We obey the commands of Jesus. Um, this is definitely not a promo moment. However, <laughs> there is a book that we wrote um, called Jesus Said It. And the point of that was that 
Jesus taught about 50 things in the Gospels, ways to live. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, which means I'm a follower of the way of Jesus, follower of his way, then I want to live by the things that he taught. And that kind of just maps it out if you're not sure exactly what that looks like. And it's kind of interesting because in our world, words like commands, when I hear that, my default is no one tells me what to do. That's my human nature. Uh, Or that's just religious thinking. And so you've got to find this fine line of what worship is, which is living by the way that Jesus has called us to live out of a response to who he is and what he's done. And that actually gets a whole lot easier when you think about it like that, as opposed to just living by a set of things that I've been told to live by. It, it's maybe subtle, but that, that's the way it is. So there's these things, and some of the things, I think right at the start of that book, we actually say some of these things, you know, Jesus said, and it's easy in some ways to live like that. And there's other things that he said, which I wish he never said at all, because they're like really hard to live by. Like love your enemies and pray for your enemies. Like that's kind of a hard thing to actually do in, in practice. But if we want to live this righteous life, then we follow in the ways of Jesus. Now, what I would say is that if you are struggling with one of those, like if there's something there that you just can't understand, then talk to someone about that. Like one of the best parts of being in church is it's a community of people trying to do their best to follow the way of Jesus. And so, you know, a good first pass is your life space leader or if not someone else that you're connected to at church, just have that conversation. Have that meaningful conversation. Do it over coffee today. Hey, I really struggle with that, that thing that Jesus said. Let's talk about that and let's figure out how we do that together. The other thing when it comes to righteousness, if, if you want a daily habit that helps you live a righteous life, then there's this prayer that David prayed, which is a really cool but quite confronting prayer to pray every day, which is create in me a clean heart. Lord, create in me a clean heart. And renew a righteous spirit within me. Like, what does life look like when you pray that every day? And love how Scripture just weaves together. Like David talking about a clean heart, which is what Paul then refers to in this breastplate of righteousness that is about our heart, the core of our being. Okay, number that was number two. Number three. Is this helpful? A little bit? Yep, good. Uh, number three is the feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace so in armor the shoes and the feet they often actually had spikes in them for digging in so right throughout ephesians actually but particularly in i think in ephesians 6 the words stand firm come up like three or four times Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Why does Paul have to keep saying that? Because there's opposition. There's things coming against us. So how do we stand against that? Well, one of the ways is this. It's feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So the first thing is, how do I stand firm in the gospel of peace? Well, the gospel tells us that Jesus already has the victory. Jesus already has the victory. He's overcome death. And so... Part of our standing is to know the victory that we have in Christ. And what does that do? That brings peace, which is kind of really bizarre sometimes when you're in a battle to know that you've got peace even though you're actually in a fight. 
You know, I'm not sure if this has happened for you, but sometimes when I've been in some of the most challenging times of my life, non-Christian people will say things like, why are you so relaxed at the moment or why do you have so much peace in that situation? And I don't always, but other times I'm swearing and angry and all the rest of it, but sometimes, <laughs> um, sometimes there's peace. And that's because I know that I know that I know that no matter what's going on, God is in it. I might not know the outcome, I might not have seen the victory, but I know that God is in it and therefore I don't carry that anxiety that I might otherwise carry if I didn't know that. Because to me that's the revelation of the gospel. That God will never leave me or forsake me, he'll never give me more than I can handle. So we stand firm because we have the victory, which brings peace. The other part of this as well, though, because keep in mind, you know, your, your mind could be going one of two ways here. One way is the battle, which is your battle, but the other battle could be the battle for someone else's salvation. And when we think about that battle, then this is also relevant because we are carriers of the gospel. And it's, I love this word, fitted, feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel. In other words, we've got to be ready, always ready, to take that opportunity to share the gospel. That's part of the offensive. It's part of the battle. So I think there's two two things here in terms of our habits. The first part of our habit could be getting into the habit that you always, always, always look at the circumstances in your life through the victory of the gospel. And we talk about this a lot because I think our world... Like, there's so much stuff that comes against us, and if we look at God through our circumstances, we, we are then going, well, God, where are you? What's going on? I don't see you at the moment, because we look at our circumstances first. But if we look at our circumstances through God, the opposite happens. It's like, well, God, I know you're in this. What are you doing right now? What are you teaching me? Where's the victory coming from? Where's the lesson coming from? And so that's part of this idea of how we find peace. We give up the right to understand what's going on because we say, God, I trust you no matter what's happening. So the second habit is this part about sharing the gospel. We're carriers of the gospel and we're carriers of peace. So we've always got to be ready for those opportunities when they, when they come up. And sometimes, you know, like if you're a carrier of peace, actually you might not even be uh, like knowing this is going to happen. I, I literally, as I was preparing this, one of the meals Kyle and I had in London and this this actually happens a lot for us, um, and I hope it does for you too, but the waiter, literally, the words the waiter used was, there's really good energy at this table, and what I know is that's God in us. Like, all they can describe is the energy at the table, but I'm like, no, no, you're actually experienced the overflow of God in my life, because you're experiencing peace, you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing love. And then what does that do? That creates an opportunity for me to be ready to share the gospel. Okay, number four, helmet of salvation. This one's kind of pretty obvious, but helmet of salvation. So the helmet is protection of our head, which is protection of our mind. I think the assurance of our salvation is what actually helps the battlefield of the mind. Now, again, there's loads of great content around uh, that. But I think 
what this comes down to, ultimately, is surrendering our thoughts to the Lord. Now, our, our mind can do crazy, crazy things, but I honestly believe that we can train our mind. And I think one of the fruits of the spirit of self-control speaks to the fact that we can learn how to control our mind. And what, when I say control, what I mean is direct the patterns of our thoughts. I hear that the right way. And so there's a couple of ways that has to happen. The first is we need to be intentional about the things that we put in our mind. Now, I've, again, told loads of stories over the years of things like the movies we watch or the books that we read or the songs that we listen to and how it gets stuck in our head. So therefore, we can make a conscious choice about the things that we put into our mind. Has anyone actually watched um, that musical Hamilton? It's on Disney. People know what I'm talking about? Okay. If you've watched that, you will go to bed at night singing, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. Everyone who's watched it. I, st- I, I, w- I woke up at 4 a.m. last night and I woke up, his name was Alex. I'm like, you're kidding me. I watched this like a week ago. I cannot get this song out of my head. <laughs> like the proof being like whatever it is that you, you listen to and or you, you know, whatever you put in your mind sticks in your mind. So we have a choice about that. But then the things that come into our mind, we also have a choice as to whether we labor on them, whether we believe them, whether we turn them into truth like you know, and, and this is spoken about throughout Scripture. So rather than me trying to convince you of that, listen to some of Paul's other writings. Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. That's our habit, is surrendering our thoughts to the things of the Lord. Number five, the shield of faith. Okay, so our shield... If you think about the shield, that's, that's the protection, a defensive mechanism for incoming attacks. How do we defend ourselves? Well, we defend with our faith. Now, Hebrews 11, great teaching on faith if you, if you want to read that. But at the start, it says, faith is things that we are confident of the things hoped for and certain of the things that we cannot see. So our defense is about believing in those things that we know to be true. Now, when it comes to habits, this idea of how do we do this in, in a daily sense, a couple of, couple of things I'd, I'd suggest you think about. The first is, like if you're in a relationship with Jesus, there are moments in your life, significant moments, there might only be one, there could be more than one, but there's at least one moment there was a significant moment in you that caused you to have faith in the Lord. And, and I would describe that as like a building block of your faith. It's like this big foundational stone that goes into your life. And you need to remember what they are. Because when the attack comes, you've got to go back to that point that says, I know that I know that I know. That's my faith. Like, faith is believing in the things that we can't explain. And 
like slightly off track, I haven't actually written too many notes today, so a lot of this is just what's on my heart as I'm sharing it, but it requires faith to be an atheist, right? And it requires faith to be a Christian. Because as an atheist, you can't actually prove there is or isn't a God any more than we can prove there is or isn't a God in some respects, although I would obviously argue that, that we can. But there's an element of things that you just can't, see and explain like we on our London trip we walked around um there's the, man the museums that are free over there are incredible but one of them is the natural history museum I think it's called and of course it goes back to how the planets were formed and how the we were apes and all these kind of things and it's all quite convincing when you read it but I'm like I don't believe that because I believe a creation story but honestly it's confusing because it's like there's so much proof and evidence that these things happened or did happen or could have happened but what happens for me is I go I don't have to understand that because my faith the thing that I can't explain says I know there's a God and I know he created the world and I know he created me that's my faith and so I don't tend to get distracted by those kind of conversations and I know people some people love exploring that and that's great and if you're one of those people that's awesome but for me it's like that just doesn't shake my faith my faith because I'm believing in something that I hope for, something that's in my future, something that I can't otherwise explain. That's the whole point of faith. So no matter how, how you live your Christian journey, there has to be an element of faith, and it's your faith, and it comes from these building blocks that I'm talking about. So your defensive shield has to be able to remember those things when the attack comes. So hang on, life sucks right now. Well, that's, God got me through that last time and I remember what he did in that moment. And the other part of our faith, I think, and how we live and how we still, I think this is a defensive kind of mechanism, is that we have to continually have faith dreams. Like we can't just live in the past of the things that God has done, but we've got to believe in the future of the things that he's got for us. And a faith dream is the thing that says, I'm going after something that I couldn't otherwise get to without God. And so what is it that's in, in your heart? Because if you're chasing after something that is in God and you can't do in your own strength, again, I think that becomes a bit of a defensive mechanism. When things come against you, it's like, well, hang on, there's meant to be opposition here because I'm going after something that's big in God. So another habit of how we live, what's your... What's your faith dream in God? What has God called you to do that you can't quite get to at the moment but is in him and it's bigger than you and you need him for that? Have you got that in your heart? Okay, and number six, final one, sword of the spirit. How am I going? Good. Okay, the sword of the spirit. This is the weapon that we fight with. You use it for offense and you use it for defense. And literally, the sword of the spirit is, is the Word of God. Paul says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The best example of this is Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. Like, if you want to get your head around, how do I use Scripture to fight, then think about how Jesus did that in the wilderness. You can read Luke chapter 4. Every time the devil tempted him with something on the earth, you can have this. Jesus' response was scripture. And so we have 
to know Scripture. We have to get Scripture on our hearts. We have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to know it, which kind of comes full circle back to this truth. The belt of truth is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing a sounder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So obviously the sword of the spirit, the habit here is to get in the scripture every day. And honestly right now there's like no excuse in our day and age. You can listen, you know, you can listen to scripture as you drive to work or as you're on the bus or as you go to bed at night and literally have scripture read to you. What a blessing that is because, you know, the people Paul was writing to didn't even have a copy of the Bible and yet we've got it. That's a blessing. Do we actually realize that and do we actually go, well, hang on. I have the word of God in a way that those people didn't. That's not okay to be lazy about that, I don't think. That's like this opportunity that we have. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. These are the things that God has given us to fight the battle that we are in. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has encouraged and inspired you in your faith journey. If you'd like to find out more, head to our website at localcommunity.church.